Lang Podcast. We hope this message encourages and inspires you today. Happy Sunday, Victory family. I'm Jay, one of the pastors here in Victory. And I hope you're having a great Sunday. What a wonderful time of worship. Don't you agree? You have to just bask in the presence of God and just wonderful prayers by Pastor Bodhi. And really, um, there's a lot of things happening around us this Sunday. And a lot of things also for us to think about. But, you know, as we go to the Word today and as we reflect on what we will dive into this morning, I was thinking about, you know, many people who are really just encountering a lot of stuff. You know, when I, when I think about how we are responding to the things happening today, um, for example, I was talking to a friend who was talking about how in the next five days, he would not have salary. Like Pastor Bodhi would say, some people are going to un- under that kind of stress. Some people, the stress that they're going through is the stress of what's going to happen next. What about my job? There's just so many things. And as we encounter all these stress, how do we respond? For some of us, maybe you're like me, I eat. You know, what among you? When you're stressed, you eat. You know, so you know that I'm kind of stressed this season. Um, some of you, when you're stressed, you sleep a lot. For some of you, when you're stressed, you, you watch Netflix a lot. But in this series, what we're, what we're trying to do is this. That as we go through life's stress, we hope to respond in faith. We hope to respond as salt and light. So that's what we're doing in the next, uh, in the past three weeks. Now, this is the third of this series called Salt and Light. And if you're not familiar with what salt and light means, it's around Matthew. Jesus told the people of God, those who believe in Him, who love Him, that you're going to be the salt and light to the world. And if you're a believer uh, of Christ, if you are a Christian, you know, that's the call for us today. And if you're not, it's an invitation to get to know the King that we're talking about. So we're in the series and um, we're looking through the the book of Isaiah, some parts of it at least. And um, the book of Isaiah is one of those books in the Bible that we don't, you know, spend this much time. I don't know about you, but you know, me as a beginning Christian, when I was a beginning Christian, I didn't spend this much time in Isaiah. It was not something that I read a lot. In fact, if you're like me, the first time I encountered the book of Isaiah, it was difficult to understand, right? Our goal is to dive deep deep into what the Bible is saying, the truth of the book of Isaiah, that it may guide us towards what God has called us to do. So, in the first week, we talked about how God despises um, rituals that are empty. So, rituals aren't bad in itself, but if they're empty and not backed up by faith, they're not pleasing to God. And and last week, we talked about how God despises um, oppression and oppressors and and how God wants to draw them in. And also, how how this book presents this people, you know, who in many ways have have two major problems. So when you look at the book of Isaiah, we'll be going through this in a long uh, span of time. When you look at the book of Isaiah, the, the main two problems are the problems we talked about last two weeks. The first main problem is this. There's unfaithfulness between, you know, man is unfaithful to God. That's one of the main tension in the book of Isaiah. He goes out by saying, you know, you guys have been unfaithful by doing these things. But at the same time, the second problem is that there's injustice. 
So not only that there is unfaithfulness, the people of God weren't following him the way they're supposed to, but also there's injustice in the land. There's much oppression in the land. The people that are supposed to be following God and Yahweh, supposed to be taking care of the poor and the sick, they're, they're just unjust. And the resolve of God, because, you know, one of the things you learn from Isaiah is this. When there's injustice and unfaithfulness, judgment is necessary. We know this. We know this. If you're a parent, when there's unfaithfulness and injustice, when, when, your, par- when your child does something, there needs to be judgment, right? And, and God is like that as a father. When there's unfaithfulness and injustice, he, need to ju- he needs to judge it. But the glorious hope is this. While judgment is painful and it's true, and it's tough, really. It's not the end of the road. It always proceeds to hope. So what we're, we're going to look into today is chapter 11 of the book of Isaiah as we think about how does God resolve unfaithfulness and injustice through a king? And, 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 and really, as we read this, this is what's happening very, very quickly. Um, the book of Isaiah goes through all these problems because the people of Israel, they're now divided into two. The, the people of Israel on the northern part of the kingdom, Israel, and the southern part of the kingdom, which is Judah. And then they're, they're unfaithful to God, both of them. But then at this point of the story, they start, you know, leaning towards their idols. And then eventually, eventually, God would use Assyria and Babylon to actually judge them. And then one of the images that the book of Isaiah uses is that God, God will cut the trees. That's, that's Isaiah 9 and 10. God, God will cut the seemingly strong trees. Assyria and, and, and even the people of God, they will be cut down. And just imagine that. In this forest of God's kingdom, He will cut down all these seemingly strong trees, but it does not end there. That's why in chapter 11, as we open our Bibles, I invite you to open your Bibles, chapter 11 of Isaiah. We're going to read how hope is brought forth by this king. And also, we're going to talk about why we should trust this king. Okay? I'm excited for this. Isaiah chapter 11. We'll read five verses from verse 1 to 5. Join me if you're at home and you know you're comfortable to stand up. And, and, you know, I really feel like God is calling us to be in worship, really, in awe of His Word. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. And there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the fruit of the Lord shall rest upon him. And the spirit of the wisdom and understanding. And the spirit of counsel and might. And the spirit of knowledge. And the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge but by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness, he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with rod of his mouth and and breathe the breath of his lips. He shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. Let us pray. A glorious God who has called us to be together in this Sunday, in our homes and here in this place. God, we thank you for this opportunity to dive into your word. Lord, speak to us. 
Pray for my friends who are suffering. Pray for my friends who are sick, Lord God. May your word give them hope. May your spirit give them healing. And Lord, ultimately, give us the faith to be salt and light of the world. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen and amen. Such a fascinating part of the scripture. And, and, and really, as I think through what this um, chapter is about, and, and today, by the way, is Palm Sunday. The rest of the Christian uh, tradition and history celebrates this as the Sunday where Jesus entered the, 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 the area of Jerusalem. So, so they're celebrating him as the king. And as we do that, I think it's a very appropriate time to reflect on Isaiah chapter 11. But before we go through that, you know, one of the things about being a father to a toddler is that um, while a lot of people are talking about that four-hour Zack Snyder movie about um, Batman and the rest of his gang, I'm enjoying Raya. That, that's that's exactly, you know, really, while my friends are chatting about, bro, you should see the movie, it's four hours, it's worth it. Bro, you should see Raya. Bro, you should see Raya. I mean, I have this three-year-old and we were watching Raya. And without spoiling the movie to you, because some of you might want to watch it, the movie revolves around the issue of trust. How, how trust is something that is fragile, but at the same time, trust is something that is important. And it's a fascinating, you know, reflection of how when people are broken, trust is difficult. And I think in many ways, as we think about Isaiah chapter 11, what, what God is wanting us to reflect on is that we can trust Him. In fact, if there are, you know, if you're a note taker, I try to do this you know, for people who want to do um, notes. Um, I'll only answer two basic questions today. The first is, why should we trust this king? And they say in chapter 11, why should we trust him? With all the things happening around us, with all the things that happened to Israel, how, why should I trust him, right? And, and the second question, which I think is equally important, is that now if I trust him, how should that work out in my life? So those two basic questions, I believe, are so important. And, and, and if you're here and, and you're, you know, a visitor to our community, which means maybe your mom is part of Victory and then you're forced to sit beside her, you know, I hope you listen in and I hope you really hold on to this truth. Because here's the thing, here's the thing. Our trust is important, but at the same time, our trust is fragile. So it's important where we put it. And, and I'll make the case, I'll make the case that it's only the king who deserves our faith and trust. Okay, let's jump right into this. Uh, open your Bibles. We'll stay in chapter 11. I'll, I'll mention some of the verses maybe um, outside this, but we'll, we'll zoom right into chapter 11, 1 to 9. So the first verse there says, um, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Right? That's good. <laughs> That's great. Now, if you're like me, the first time you read it, it's like, okay, so what's, what's good about that? What's great about that? See, 
the thing about the Bible, especially the Old Testament, is that it's it's difficult. You know, it's not like your New Testament. You you pull off um, Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And and naturally, you know what it means, right? You kind of sense what it means. For Old Testament passages, it, it requires a little bit of standing back and, and really reading it and getting to know it. And I love that about the Old Testament. So when it says, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, what is he talking about? So the story goes that the people of God, Israel, they have been promised that there's be, going to be a king. You know, and this king's going to rule them and he's going to bring forth peace. And he's going to bring forth prosperity and everybody will be great at that point. So everybody's waiting for this king, right? And David came in and David was a great king, but he failed. But then, and as the as story goes along, um, more kings came into the picture. Solomon um, and, and all of the guys. In the book of Isaiah, you see Uzziah and then you see Ahaz. You know, and all these kings at the start, you kind of feel like, oh, this is the king that from, from the from the line of God, and he'll he's gonna rule everything and he's gonna be great. Everybody's expecting that until they do something really bad. Like Ahaz, you know, he started out great and then he suddenly trusts other nations instead of God. And then in chapter 36 of Isaiah, there'll be another king and he's gonna start out great, Hezekiah. But then, towards the end of his life, he wouldn't care about the next generation. They always fail. But then what chapter 11 of Isaiah is saying, there's gonna come a king from the shoot of the stump, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. So the stump is the, the, the part of the tree that's left when it's cut. You know, you could imagine that. And then there's a shoot, a small glimmer of hope from that stump. And, and, and in, this, in this passage, it's referring to what will be eventually fulfilled by Jesus. And Jesus will come into the picture and he'll be this king. Now, if this verse says, There shall come a sh- uh, forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch of his root and shall bear fruit. Why should we trust him then, right? If that's what the Bible says about this king, why should we trust him? Because here's the thing. Um, all other kings fail. Ahaz, Hezekiah, money, work, family. All other things will fail. This Jesus that was promised to live, died, rose again, he does not. Now, think with me. He says, the shoot from the stump of Jesse. Why not David? Matthew says he's the son of um, David in, in the line of Abraham. Why Jesse at this point? Um, Alec Montier, a really amazing theologian. If you're a Bible geek, you should search him up. Um, not now, I'm preaching. Uh, later maybe. Uh, Alec Montier, brilliant theologian. He says this. Um, one of the most striking features in the remarkable, uh, remarkable from this passage is that what's mentioned is that he came from the root of Jesse and it's referencing to the fact that Jesus is the better David. So he's not just going to come from the line of David. He's the better king. He's the greater king. And we should, we should step back and think about this. Because if Jesus is truly king, he deserves our trust. 
In fact, here's the thing. If you don't listen to the next few minutes of this preaching, if there's one thing that you, uh, you can take away from this preaching, why should we trust this king? Because he's the king. <laughs> That's it. He's, he's the one who owns everything. Colossians says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He's the king of all things. Why should you trust him? Because he holds everything together. That's why we should trust him. You see, one of the things that I realize as we go through this season is that we are at war. I don't know about you, but I, I just feel like, you know, we are at war. And our enemy is not, is not each other. Our enemy is not the government. The enemy is not just poverty. The enemy, as Paul would say, is beyond flesh and bones. There's something so insidious about what's happening right now that it's really the enemy of everything, right? Sin and death. And the Satan is using all sorts and kinds of tricks. And, and sadly, we are falling for it. You know, the, one of the oldest tricks in the book of the Bible of Satan is this. is to make us think that we are the king. <laughs> That's one of the oldest tricks in the book. Remember Adam and Eve? Really? Did God say? <laughs> I tell you, you'd be like God. And they fell for it. And think about that. In our present day, why do we feel so frustrated about things? Because we feel like we need to be in control. When things don't happen the way we want it, we feel like, God, you're not working. But here's the thing. Would you trust him? Would you trust the king because he's the king? You see, I don't want to minimize the things that we're going through. I've talked to so many people. I myself am going through things. But here's the thing. If we miss out on who the, truly the king is, we miss out on what life is. That the oldest trick in the book is to make ourselves king, right? And the other oldest trick in the book, you know what? Is to make other things king. So it's either you make yourself a king and I'm in control and when you're not in control, you get frustrated, angry and, and you know, you fight over the smallest things, you know. What kind of dress to wear, what kind of stuff you propose, you know. You, because you feel like you should be in control. Or the other side of the coin is that when, when some people make other things king, when they make government king, when they make their money king, when they make, you know, other things other than God king. Because here's the thing. When, when we make anything king other than Jesus, our expectations are so heavy, it collapses and it always hurts us. Really. I'm not sure if you've lived long enough to trust on something so much and when it doesn't deliver, you go, man, why did I trust that in the first place? Why did I trust that person in the per first place? He's a liar. And the trick of the enemy for, for so long now is to make us think, hey, you should be in control. Or, hey, your company's not doing the right, you know. Yeah. And, and when this happens, we start believing the lie of the enemy and we're, we're losing sight of the king who's truly in the throne. He is the king. 
So if there's any other reason, if there's only one reason that you can take away from this preaching, why should we trust Him? Because He is the King. Now, here's the thing. The, the text does not stop there. We can continue and there are more reasons, right? So, let's see. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon Him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. So here, it's the Isaiah is describing that the spirit of the Lord will be upon this king. And uh, we don't have to think about, you know, we don't have to, you know, try and figure out what does it mean to have the spirit of the Lord. It's expelled out here, right? It's shown here. The Spirit of the Lord means that He has wisdom and understanding, counsel and might, knowledge and fear of the Lord, and then He delights in that kind of fear. That when you look at the Scripture, the Spirit of the Lord being endowed to this King is the wisdom to rule. That the reason why we trust this King is this, because He is wise, right? He's endowed with divine wisdom. We see this. When Jesus comes into the picture in the New Testament, Matthew chapter 5, starts preaching and the wisdom of God is upon him and it's flowing out and people were listening. And that's exactly where we got our title. Remember, salt and light from Jesus calling them out and saying, come follow me. So he's endowed with his divine wisdom. In fact, in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, 17, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. The Spirit of God is with this King. That's why we trust Him, because of His wisdom. There's wisdom in Jesus, in, in the way he preaches. In the, there's wisdom in the way he lived this life. That's why he can trust him. We can trust him. See, I'm fascinated. I always think about this, especially in moments where I, I feel like I'm losing my trust and faith in God. You know, I feel like I'm shaking behind. And when you think about trust in human sense, we trust people based on their capabilities, right? I mean… We, we kind of um, trust them based on how we perceive them to be as wise, right? Or able. Here, God is described, Jesus is described as a man with counsel and might, you know. But for example, for legal advice, you don't go to Aling Bebang in the canto to ask for legal advice. Because she wouldn't know about that. You go to a lawyer to ask for legal advice. You know that that person is more wise in some extent. Is more capable to some extent. For, um, you know, things about math. I have friends. I have Kim, Makila. And if you're listening, like, I ask math things. If I ever need to ask math things because I don't deal with math anymore. But, and, and think about this. It's because we're leaning towards these people because we perceive them to have more than us and they know more than us. In fact, to some extent, you look at um, whenever there's operation. Doctors, and salute to all frontliners, doctors. I continue to pray for you and really, really hold the ropes with you. When a doctor goes to the operating room with a scalpel on his or her hand, and then why do we trust that doctor to cut us out, tear us apart, and bring us together whole, stitch us up? Why do we trust that doctor? 
Because that doctor has around what? 10-15 years of medical experience and medical knowledge and we don't have that. We don't go to the doctor and say, Doc, uh, you know, can you cut it this way? Uh, I, I just don't feel like your cut is better. You, know, you don't do that, right? Why? Because we know they're wiser, they have more experience, more powerful. Now think about that but with God in us. Why can we trust this God? Because He knows what He's doing. God, it doesn't seem like it. Yeah! But He knows what He's doing. He has wisdom and He has um, counsel and might, understanding, He has knowledge, He has the fear of the Lord. You can trust this God. How can we trust somebody who has just 10, 15 years of medical knowledge and not trust somebody who has been there from the beginning of time? Even before that. And will be there until eternity and even beyond that. How can we not trust Him? How can we not trust Him about our education? How can we not trust Him about our health? See, the lie of the enemy is that, hey, you know, maybe God does not know what He's doing. Maybe He needs some help. How can we not trust a God who says this, that He has wisdom? And then can look so we, we trust God. Why? Why do we trust God? Because He is the King and He has divine wisdom. And then we proceed and He says, the Bible says this, and He shall judge by what His eyes see or decide. He shall not judge but what His eyes see or decide disputes by what His ears hear. But with righteousness, He shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And He shall strike the earth with the, the rod of His mouth. And the breath of his lips shall kill the wicked. What is being described here? That this king comes and he makes things right. He makes things right. He sets everything to where it should be. That's, the, that's that word. We read that word. Righteousness in verse 4. But righteousness. He shall not be driven but by what his eyes see. But the circumstances surrounding us, not by COVID, not by economic fallout, not by things that are happening in the government, he will not be swayed by that. He will decide based on God's righteousness. He will make things right. That word righteousness, it's a beautiful word. It's a word in Hebrew that describes this, this God making things the way it should be. Making things to the norm. Of God, making things to the justice of God. And I love that when you think about it. Because it says here, He will do this, He will kill the evil. And you know why I love that? Because our justice, our human justice, they, they often just fall out of proportion. At one point, we say, This is just, this is just. And then another point, we can easily change our minds about what's good and what's not. But God doesn't. His justice. Is stable and he will bring everything back to the way it should be. Would you trust him? Would you trust him that he's gonna do that? See, I know this. I know how difficult the things that we're going through are. But the more I read the Bible, the more I see that the war we're fighting is not a war between us. 
between people who don't believe like us. It's not about my political beliefs, my preferences. It's about fighting for that faith to put it in Christ and not on other things. Would you trust that He will make things right? If you're a victim of injustice, would you trust that the King will make it right? Will you trust that He will accomplish His promises even if it hurts, even if things don't go the way we want to? In Revelation chapter 1, you know, the last book in the Bible describes it this way. In His right hand, He held seven stars. From His mouth came a sharp two-edged sword and His face was like the sun shining in full strength. Towards the end of the Bible, you're reminded that God will truly judge and make things right. And if you're a believer in Christ, this is a glorious day that we anticipate that we're waiting for God, please. But if you aren't a believer in Christ, I hope this draws you in and invites you. Trust this God because He will set things right. We have all this talk about the new normal. All I'm seeking is the norm of God. All I'm seeking is, God, how do you want me to play into how you're bringing this justice here on earth? And then, we trust Him because He's the King. And we trust Him because He is a King that is filled with wisdom from God. And, and that He is, because He's filled with wisdom, He rules righteously, Right? His kingdom is a kingdom of fairness and justice, not based on our preferences, but based on this glorious, glorious judgment. But what will happen as he judges? Chapter six, uh, chapter 11, verse 6 to 9. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb. Look at this. Let's draw in and just read it. And the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion shall be fat and calf together. Um, and a little child will lead them. Are you seeing this? The cow and the bear shall graze. Cow and bear. They're not eating each other. Well, the cow can't eat the bear. Anyway, their, their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw. The lion's not, not eating meat. He became a vegetarian. I'm not sure if that's, you know. But the Bible says it, Right? The nursing child will play over the hole of the cobra and the winged child shall put his hand in the adder's den and they shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. And this is the kicker. The last verse. Last part of this. For the earth. The reason why all these things are happening. Right? The reason why everything's just in this weird sense of peace is because of this. For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. Like what? As the water covers the sea. What, what happens when he judges? What happens when he comes and, and sets things right? There'll be a sense of peace. Remember the Old Testament word? Shalom. You know, Pastor June will be proud of me using Hebrew words here. But um, shalom, there's going to be a sense of peace. The animals won't hurt each other. Even children will walk around and do things. It's, like, it's going to be weird. But what's the reason behind it? Because the knowledge, the wisdom of God is all over the earth. And it's making it peaceful. Why 
Should we trust this king? Because he's the king with wisdom. And because he has wisdom, he rules righteously. And because he rules righteously, he's going to bring forth peace. And I'm not talking about peace, meditation, tea, or whatever. I'm talking about everlasting peace. Talking about how the Bible describes it when everything's just made whole. That's why we can trust him. Because the perspective, if you're a believer, if you're a believer, the perspective that we're taking is a perspective of victors in a war. We know the ending. The ending is this. Jesus will come. Everything's going to be based on his judgment. Yes, the world is ugly. Yes, everything's not the way I want it to be. But man, I believe God will come and set it right. So I live by that reality if you're a Christian. If you're not a Christian, this means this. It's an invitation for you to trust him. To, to take this time and then really set in and really trust him. And become salt and light. As we try and, and drive this to the second question, there's, there's this fascinating psalm, Psalm 115, verses 48, and says this um, Their idols are silver and gold, and the work of human hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. They have ears, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but not smell. They have hands, noses, but do not smell. That's something bad for our season. Uh, they have hands, but do not feel. They have feet, but do not walk. They do not make a sound with their throat. Those who make them become like them. Look at that verse 8. Those who make these idols become like them, so do all who trust in these idols. You know what happens? We become that thing that we trust. That's the Bible. There's a sense in which whoever we trust, put our worship onto, we become in a way like them. I like how N.T. Wright puts it. N.T. Wright, um, uh, Tom Wright, brilliant theologian. He says, you become like you what you worship. When you gaze in awe, admiration, and wonder at something or someone, you begin to take on something of the character of the object of your worship. That's why we trust this king. Right? That's why we put our faith in Him because other things, when we trust other things, we become like them. Like, that's a scary thought, right? You worship, you worship people, you become like them. That's a scary thought. And, and, and the more that when you reflect on that question, that, that idea, it leads us to the second question. That how should trusting this king shape us? And this is where our salt and light thing comes into four. Right? Um, because we don't want to just trust this king. We want that trust to shape us. This is not a nebulous idea of an abstract, you know, or esoteric thinking like, man, I trust God and that's it. No. There's something that happens because we trust this king. Because we become more like him. We trust in this king. We become more like him. So how do we do this? How do we become, how, do we, how does that shape us? In the same way that he's the king with wisdom, he's the king who rules righteously, and he's the king who brings peace. I believe there's just something there we could learn. First is that if we are a people trusting this king, then we should seek wisdom. Right? Because if he's the king with all the wisdom there is, we should seek his wisdom. 
You know, in a world of Google and everything within, uh, you know, the, the tip of our fingers and, and every detail of the world we know already, you know, it's so easy to be arrogant and think that we have all the answers to all the questions of life. It's so, it's so easy to be arrogant and think, well, I know that. But here's the thing. Would you seek wisdom? Now, this, this is what it means. Um, we spend around 35 minutes together already at this point. This means seeking wisdom does not start and end on your Sunday service. This is a wonderful time that we get together, we worship God, we study the Word together, but this should not be the only source of Word in our life. It means us going to the Word every single day, praying our hearts out, worshiping Him. And I'm not just talking about singing. I'm talking about really God, please work in in my life. This is an invitation. If you are a follower of Jesus, that's what it means to seek wisdom. Proverbs would say, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. I'm fascinated. Just last week, we started our, our, our foundations class, orientation. It was a fun time, you know. And these people are seeking wisdom through classes. We have 1.13 every Saturday. And I, I meet with them. It's a wonderful time of learning. But let's not stop there, Right? It's God who gives us wisdom. So yeah, how should the trusting God shape us? We become a people who seek wisdom. And then, if if we are a people seeking wisdom, this is what happens. We become a people who live righteously. Now, I'm not, I'm not, you know, saying that I'm righteous. No, no, no. Not the arrogant righteous thing. The kind of righteousness that is reflected here. A kind of righteousness that is given by God, by His grace through faith. A righteousness that is gained by gazing upon and believing in a Christ that died and, and rose again from the grave. That kind of righteousness. Would we live like that? Would we live like the salt and light of this world? You see, I know. Uh, whatever you're doing, just, just, just listen into this. I know that a pandemic is a lot of process, but church, if you're church, if you're a believer in Christ, this is for you. We're made for a time like this. God called us to be the salt and light of the world. We're the body of Christ in this world. We're made to live righteously, which means loving. Let's stop making enemies out of people just because we feel like it. Let's start loving. Can we make kind words a norm? Can we make asking forgiveness a norm? And I'm talking to you, if you're a Christian, see, if you're not a Christian, maybe this does not appeal to you. Because you need to first approach Christ. Really. But if you are a follower of Christ, this means this. We're called to be a people who brings righteousness forward. That leads us to the last idea, right? That because righteousness is being brought forward, we become agents of peace. We become people who are participating. We're not the ones bringing peace. It's God. We're not the ones. As God brings peace on this earth, and I know there's going to be that future shalom, but right now God is doing something. And if, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not feeling it, we need to go back to the Word. Because God's doing something. And, and we need to hear it. And we need to, to know it. We are called to bring 
participate in bringing peace. And I don't know how that shapes in your life. You know, how that looks like. Maybe that's loving your husband even beyond that husband's unfaithfulness. And I know it's difficult. But God calls us to be people who are bringing shalom. Maybe it means being more generous. You know what? Um, just last week, I wasn't there, but I was just listening to stories of Pastor Carlo and Pastor King and Valerie I'm not sure if you're in the service, but... Um, they're doing this great thing in our real life scholarship. They're interviewing new people to come in. And I just, I was listening to the story and I was just, man, this is so great. This is us, the church, bringing true restoration to the lives of these children who otherwise wouldn't have any means to go to school. But because of your generosity, if you're one who's supporting real life, because of, we're bringing forth the shalom of God to the brokenness of this world. So that these children would not only have education, but they'll meet God. See, we are in a war. How should we respond? Do we respond in fear? We respond in doubting? We respond in despair? Or do we respond and trust in God? And by trusting Him, we seek His wisdom. We, we live out righteously by His grace. And we bring forth peace. As we draw to a close. In Matthew chapter 21, verses 8 to 9, when Jesus came into, the, into Jerusalem, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the, on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. They're shouting, King, save us. They're rejoicing because the King has come. This King is alive. Would we shout out, save us, O God, from this? Hosanna. Or would we put our trust on other people, on ourselves, or other things. I pray that we would respond in faith. Because this king loves us so much. This king lived, died, rose again. So that you and me, as we believe him, will know his wisdom. will have the righteousness that we don't deserve. And then we'll live out to be agents of peace. I'm not sure how this word of the Lord is speaking to you in this season. Why should we trust this king? Because he's the king with divine wisdom. He rules righteously and he brings true peace. How should trusting him shape us? We are to seek wisdom, live righteously, participate in bringing peace. We are to be salt and light of the world. Here's the thing. Maybe you just can't hear this because the things that are happening in your life, but I, I want to pray with you. If it's okay, if you're at home, don't, you know, don't switch out the channel. This has become like a TV for some people. But this is a church. This is us, our community, just looking into God. So let's take this time to pray. Oh God, we thank you 
Because it is your word that would pierce through our hearts in this season. Lord, with all the news coming out, with all the data coming out, with all the numbers being thrown out, Lord, what we will believe is the truth of your word. We refuse to be lulled into the lies of the enemy. We refuse to be, to be conformed, Lord God, to the work of the world. And we want to be your children. If you are sick, hold on to the promise of God because He is King. If you're doubting, struggling with addiction, hold on. Talk to someone. Allow people to speak life to you. Because He is King. Lord, we give back all glory and honor to Your name. And I pray that all these words would truly transform us to be the people that You called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Feel free to share this message with your friends too. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.victoryalabang.church.